I'm going to try doing this from my uh, electronics today. It'll probably, uh, I should probably, hold on here. I'm going to, I should, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. That's better. Um, this is a very famous passage. A number of us wonder what must have been Jesus been like as a boy. Wouldn't it be odd to have someone who's a son of God? Uh, a number of, of, of a number of you guys work with teenagers, um, right? You, whether in our church or you hang out with teenagers or or you have a teenager, <laughs> right? Uh, like like I do. I have a, I have a couple in my house, and um, this story is about Jesus when he was about maybe about twelve, thirteen years old, and I've got a 13-year-old and I got a 12-year-old, and I can't imagine them acting like this. <laughs> this uh, story. This is the one story we have of Jesus when he is at that age. Um, but the part of the story that I, I would like us to, to focus on is, is not so much the details of this, this pathway. They, they went to, remember, they went to the temple that they're not, they don't, they're not from Jerusalem, they have to travel. And uh, there's no, there, there's no, there's no bus. <laughs> there's no cars or, or trains. Um, you travel. Most people walk, and you walk as a family. And they walked as a family all the way to Jerusalem. They live in Nazareth, so that's not an, uh, an easy trip. And so imagine what this must have been out. A whole clan of them went to Jerusalem to go to the temple. <laughs> and. You guys know what it's like. You're with aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and so forth. And then, and then you just assume that your kid is just with, with an uncle or with cousins and with, with the whole group. And then, and then they went back. They just go, okay, it's time to go back. And they go back. And then next thing you realize, where's our son? <laughs> um, where is he? And you can imagine... Uh, uh, I mean, if I were to go someplace, I don't know, let's say if I were to take a trip to San Francisco with my whole clan, so to speak, aunts and uncles and so forth, and I just assumed that my, my 13-year-old son was in one of the other cars and we're coming back, we drive all the way back and then get home, I'll sort out the kid, whoa, <laughs> where is my boy? Um, I would probably hit, you know, a piece of panic because you guys ever had that feeling when, um, you know, you especially have that when they were really young. You're at a supermarket. For those of you guys who aren't parents, you may not know this. But if you're, if you're a, a father and a mother, you may have had this experience. You're in a supermarket with your little one. You will go down a couple aisles, and then you turn around, and they're not there. And then for about two minutes, you have this experience of sheer terror. <laughs> and you start running around. You start yelling their name. I, I've done that a couple times. And, um, and then I'm usually furious. <laughs> what are you doing? And, um, and imagine what it would be like when they're in, the, in another town. So they have to go, they have to drive, they have to, well, not drive back, but they have to travel back. They go searching all around, and then they find him. So it's, it's a strange story. You can imagine why Mary remembered this story. I mean, it's... But of all the stories, you can, you, I can, 
There's probably a number of stories. Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. That's what the Bible put. I mean, she's, she's a, a loving mom. She probably treasured up a lot of things in her heart. And yet, the Holy Spirit deemed fit that this would be in the Scriptures. Um, I don't know if Jesus, how, how Jesus played ball. <laughs> how did Jesus treat his younger brothers and sisters? Was Jesus good at school? Was Jesus good at his car, uh, carpentry apprenticeship under, his, under, under Joseph? Right? None of that is, is listed. <laughs> but this is. And today I want to talk about what I think is crucial here. In this passage, if you look at this passage in Luke chapter 2, it's, it's framed. If you go to verse 40, here's what it says. They took him to the temple and they, they dedicated him. And then it said, The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. That's the way, that's the, way the passage is put. And then when you get to the bottom of the chapter, in verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's, the way, that's what it says. I'm interested in less what Jesus was like as a boy then I think what the Bible here is saying, pay attention. You have the young Jesus. He grew in wisdom and in favor with God. And I think in this passage is the secret. It is the secret to what it means to grow in wisdom and with favor with God. And that is to be in the Father's house. I'm going to go at this in three parts as I usually do. Get a little drink here. Um, part one, secular wisdom. Or maybe I should put that in quotes. Wisdom. Secular wisdom. Part two, um, the inner mess. And part three, true wisdom from the Father. All right. um, part one, as we, I think, try to glean from what is, can we learn from this passage of Jesus uh, the young teenager. What can you learn from a, a young teenager? Um, of course, the most important teenager who ever walked the earth. Uh, um, I think we can learn something very important, and especially in this time and age, um, we very underestimate what I think this passage is saying. This isn't a passage that's often very preached, and, and, and I chewed on this and meditate on this a bit, and, and I think it's especially relevant to a culture like ours, but it's in every, every age and every generation. Um, we, we know about all the things that our, our life is supposed to be filled with. Uh, the, the, getting a good education, getting a good job, having a nice house, but also other things, being a good neighbor, taking care of your family, um, contributing to your society, all these kinds of things. How do we have all this and then live this deeper, wise life? How do we do this? Um, I was share, I, 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 every now and then, I don't know if any of you guys, I hope a number of you do, I, every now and then I post this either on our, our Facebook site, on our, on our groups, on, on, our, on our congregation's Facebook site, or I, I send it to our email listing. And um, I, a friend of mine shared an, um, an op-ed that was in the New York Times Recently, and I, and I and I shared this this week, 
And it was, it was called uh, Religion Without God. <laughs> Religion Without God. That was the, the, the article. And, it, and I found it particularly interesting because of who, who wrote it. The, the writer was Tanya Lerman. And Tanya Lerman is right here up the street up at Stanford University. She's a professor um, in anthropology. And I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, but um, most anthropology professors these days are atheists. I, I don't know exactly why that is the case. Uh, I don't know if she's an atheist. She clearly, um, she clearly wrestles with matters of faith, and yet I don't think she can quite get herself to believe. And the reason I'm inter- I find her very interesting, a, a number of months ago, um, a, a while back, I referred to her because um, I read her book call, uh, called When God Talks Back or something like this. And what she did was really interesting. She, um, there used to be a time when, or they probably still is, when anthropology professors would go off to Africa or South America and literally live with the people in the jungle, or they live with them in the desert. And, and then basically become one of them to see how do they see the world? How do they do relationships? What are their rituals? What are, what are their deep beliefs? And to really understand their whole sense of what it means to be human in their culture. And you know, she did the same thing, except she did it at a vineyard church. <laughs> she treated Christians like a, a foreign, strange tribe. And then she decided to go to church and then try to become a member of the church as best she can and then understand how Christians think and treated them as a set of weird people. And then she wrote a book about it for all the secular intellectuals. That's what she did. And I read this book. It was a fascinating read. And she is clearly very attracted to the Lord and you could tell she really appreciates church. I mean, she herself didn't grow up in church. She herself is, well, she's, as far as I know, she's still not a believer. Even though she went to church for a couple years, heard the gospel regularly, prayed with people, clearly read the Bible very seriously. You can tell from that book she read the Bible very seriously. She went to the Bible studies um, and tried to do all the things that Christians do to follow Jesus and grow in the Lord. And, um, and yet she still wrestles with this thing. And, and here's what she says. She says, the way the article says, this Christmas our family will go to church. The service is held in a beautiful old church in Walpole, New Hampshire, just over the border from um, Vermont. Except, she's saying, that there's the Lord's Prayer and stuff on the walls, except she says this church is Unitarian. You guys ever been to a Unitarian church? Um, a Unitarian church is not Christian. They do not believe in the Trinity. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is fully God. And they do not believe that Jesus Christ saved us from our sins by dying on the cross. They don't believe that stuff. But then she goes on to say that this church started Unitarian, and then later on it became something called Unitarian Universalist. And if you go to a Unitarian Universalist, the modern Unitarian Universalist Association's statement of principles does not even mention God at all. So they start off Unitarian, which was pretty much just all legal rules. And now, that's all they have. They only have the rituals, and they barely even mention God. And then she says something This is very interesting. She says, as it happens, this kind of God-neutral faith is growing. This is really strange. 
Now, for those of you who are believers and come to church, you might that you might find this, there are what she's saying is there are and I don't, she's pointing to something in history where people went to something called the Unitarian Universalist Church and yet they barely mentioned God. Because really what it was, they're practicing a form of how to be a better person and a form of religion where God was practically bracketed off and almost irrelevant. You think, why would you want to go to church where God is irrelevant? And yet, it's back. And it's actually... It's in, and she, so she says... Um, there are atheist services have sprung up around the country. Atheist services. There are worship services that are atheist. And so, and she, he, she mentions this. She says, many of them are connected to something called the Sunday Assembly, which was founded in, in Britain by two comedians. I'm, I'm not making this up. She's not making this up. This is in the New York Times very recently. Two comedians, some, some, some guy's name, Sanderson Jones and Pippa Evans. And they're avowed atheists. Yet they have created a movement that draws thousands of people to events with music, sermons, readings, reflections. And to judge by the photos, even the waving of upraised hands. I mean, isn't that strange? They have, they have uh, readings and sermons and reflections, and they even have people doing this. I, I don't know who they're waving their hands to. Right? When in the church where we wait, when we raise our hands, we're raising our hands to God, right? Um, and some of you do that in our church, which I'm glad you do. It's just great because actually the Bible says, "Do that. Raise your hands to the Lord," right? Um, but and apparently there are nearly get this 200 Sunday assembly gatherings worldwide. A gathering in Los Angeles last year attracted hundreds of participants. Um, and when I read this, when I read this op-ed from Tanya Lerman, I honestly didn't know whether to laugh or to cry. <laughs> but there's a lot of people outside the church, and uh, well, maybe not in first service, but occasionally we get some in second service who don't believe in the Lord, and who are not even sure if there's a God. <laughs> and a lot of people think, what is the purpose of this church business. It's because we need, well, we need comforts. And there is a set of uh, secular folks who think, oh, that's just all fairy tale and nonsense. And they basically just uh, condescendingly look down and even and, and, uh, disdain the church. Okay, so it's all just like made up stuff. And quite frankly, if, as, a, as, as a Christian and as a pastor, um, I actually agree with those people. Those are the people I agree with. <laughs> if Christianity is not true, then we're pathetic. <laughs> I agree with those people. Those are the people I agree with. Yeah. Um, if I wasn't a Christian, I would think, all these stupid buildings with the crosses, <laughs> that's, I don't think I'd be one of these people, oh, that's, that's good, it works for you. I, don't think, I wouldn't agree with that. I would just think that's just stupid. A waste of time, waste of money, waste of real estate. That's what I would think. But there's a whole other set of secular folks out there. Apparently, it's growing. <laughs> they not only think that it's needed, in some sense, a form of religion, but they want it, they want it too. <laughs> Except they don't want God. They're not sure if there's a God, but they want the religion. 
They want the building. They want the sermons. So there are actually people who want church, kind of the stuff that we do, but they want God. They don't want the God part. And they think all this stuff, by having all the rituals and all the practice and gathering this people and to have the community, then we will have all the things we really need to be better human beings and to live a deeper life, live a more satisfying life, and then, and then we can make our world and society a better place. This, this is secular wisdom. <laughs> this passes secular wisdom today. There's a lot of people today who think that the God part, whether you have God or not, that's not the part that matters. <laughs> the part that matters is whether you are a deep person. <laughs> whether you are a deep person and you can live a rich and satisfying life and then help contribute into our society and then make the world a better place. That's the part that matters. And, and, I'm, and I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm not saying this in any kind of disdainful way. I'm just trying to describe it. People really believe this. And if you're here today, and I know I'm not first, I'm not first service, but there are some people, and you believe this, um, Luke chapter 2 absolutely disagrees with you. <laughs> absolutely disagrees with you. And the person of Jesus will say, you will never become a wise and strong person. Because the pathway, according to Luke chapter 2, when he was very little as a baby, he was dedicated in God's in God's house. And then as he grew into young adulthood, here is what the scripture is telling us. How did he grow into wisdom and favor with God and man? This is interesting. Favor with God and man. And that is, he was in the Father's house. And that is another way of saying, you cannot seek religion only. You must seek God and let me put it even more than that. You can't just see God. <laughs> There's a lot of people today who want God, and they want to know about God, or they want to have God, and then they think that having God means having religion. If I have religion, then I have God. No, you don't. <laughs> if you have religion, you do not have God. And even you can go inside of a church, but that doesn't make you know God. I mean, you can go inside of a garage. That doesn't make you a car. <laughs> <laughs> but you, people can come into church to really know God to really know God you must know him as your father there are lots of people inside the church they're not sons and daughters of God does that make sense? that is sort of like going into, into a garage and then thinking you'll become a car and, but a lot of secular wisdom passed this way. If we get all the trappings of religion, and I don't doubt that going to these services somehow makes people feel better, but I'm with all the people who think it's, it's just a huge waste of time. And let me just put it really clearly. If this Jesus isn't who the Bible says he is, and he's not truly the divine son. I mean, there's no surprise to me that Unitarian churches just... Uh, just devolved and into nothingness, essentially. <laughs> a Unitarian Universalist church that doesn't even mention God at all, that's, I don't even know if you can call that a church. It's just secular, do-gooder religiosity <laughs> trying to fill the emptiness. And let me go to 
second part of my message. This secular wisdom isn't even really wisdom. It's secular folly. The Bible talks about wisdom. A real wisdom. And a real wisdom has to go inside. And inside of us, this is the thing that most people who don't, who walk outside the church, who don't know God, don't understand. You can't just become nicer people. Religion is something that's like worked on on the outside of you. Religion is something that's like a series of do's and don'ts, a series of rituals. And that's something that you can work on externally. But actually, inside of us, there's a huge chasm. And it's actually worse than a chasm. There's a void and an emptiness. And at times, it is, it is a storm and a chaos. And it is a storm and a chaos that nobody can fill. and Nobody could put to peace except God. Um, it's one of the reasons why I want us to take us through this book. Um, let me just share with you, I think it's appropriate... I didn't plan it this way. It just kind of came out nicely that uh, Gordon McDonald is a nice illustration for this part of my sermon. Right? So I, I, can do, I can give you a two for one. I can give you a plug for why you should come out next year. Right? And, I can, and I can be really faithful to the, the Word of God. Right? Um, just, let me just tell you a little something about the way this book starts. The, pref, the title of the preface is The Day I Hit the Wall. The day I hit the wall. One Saturday morning in my 30th year, an event occurred that changed my life. I was a young pastor in a sizable church. So he's 30 years old. He's 30 years old in a big church. So he's a hot shot. 30-year-olds don't generally get to lead big churches. And I had accumulated several weeks of busyness. I mean really busy in my work. Now, there is a busyness that reflects a plan of activity, a pattern of priorities, and a sense of purposefulness. It is a good and satisfying busyness through which one grows and increases competence. But there is a busyness, a destructive busyness, actually, that reflects a chaotic way of life. That's how it starts. Most of the people, do you know, do you think you have purposeful busyness? which is good and satisfying, or do you have a busyness which is destructive and chaotic? And inside, it's just a mess. A way of doing which is simply responding to the next thing of the day, and the next thing, and the next thing. It makes no difference whether or not it has significance. It's just the next thing. And one does it because it's there to do. And basically he goes on to say, Day after day I had risen before the sun, and night after night I had fallen into bed long past the time when TV used to sign off. Right? The hours of each day had been filled with business meetings, people with problems, speeches and talks, one after another, the normal administrative details that dog anyone who is in charge of any organization. But that wasn't all. During that time, there had been the deaths of two homeless men in our community. And this is how it often is. Something is to break before the outward busyness 
can make you go inside and realize there's a deep emptiness or chaos inside. So in his case, two homeless guys died in the community. I had supervised the arrangements for their burials. So the church buried these homeless guys. The utter senselessness of their lives and the sadness of their lonely deaths had touched me deeply and sent me into a dark and cloudy mood. And then he, say, he goes on to say, that's when he hit the wall. And he started realizing, I may be very, very busy on the outside. And externally, people think I'm a very successful person. I'm a very respectable guy. I'm 30 years old. I'm leading a big church. He probably makes pretty good money. Lots of people respect him. Everybody thinks he's a good and righteous person full of wisdom and favor with God and man, right? And his answer was wrong. I wasn't. He's a pastor. You can see why this book got my attention. Right? And yet he did not have an inner strength and a peace and purpose for his life to be deeply fruitful. In other words, he didn't have real wisdom. And he didn't know what it was like to be with his father. He knew what it was like to be a really busy pastor. <laughs> didn't know what it was like to be still in his father's house. I'm not talking about a building. In Jesus' case, it was a temple. But it's not even just a building, are you before your father? And I want to talk about this in a moment here. Actually, I, I, if you read, say, for instance, another translation in English, it might not say, um, where, how, didn't, why were you looking for me? <laughs> didn't you know I was supposed to be in my father's house? That's actually, if you, in other, another translation, it might say, didn't you know I was supposed to be about my father's business? Some translations put it that way. As soon as I see that in the English, I know that usually there's something a little bit difficult in the Greek. So I went and took a look at the Greek. And actually, that's not ex didn't you know I'm supposed to be my father's house? That's not exactly quite what Jesus says. And he doesn't quite even say, didn't you know I'm supposed to be my father's business? That's the English translators trying to make sense of the Greek. Um, the Greek is literally something like this. Didn't you know that I was supposed to be in those of my father? That's literally what it says. Didn't you know that I must be in those of my father? <laughs> in those things, in those matters, in the stuff of my father. In other words, it's almost like if you read it, it says, it's, he's like saying, didn't you know I must be in my father? <laughs> it's almost like what he's saying. The Greek is almost literally... In my father. That's what he's saying. Didn't you know I must be in my father? You can come to church. And if you come to church, like the way these people at Sunday Assembly are going to their church, to do a religion, you will not have wisdom. And there's a lot of people today whether they, they're not sure whether they believe in God or they're, or they're like, well, I'm not really close to God, but I sure as heck I want his favor. <laughs> I want God's favor upon me. Um, let me tell you something. If the only way you know God is God is far away, 
He's not in downtown. He's in the suburbs. He's not in the living room. He's in the backyard. You understand what I'm saying? When you have a conversation with him, you feel like you have to shout because you, you keep him way, 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 way far away. You keep him far away. You keep him far away. You keep him small and irrelevant in your life. And now, wait a second, I better go to church and do some of that religion stuff, that church stuff, because I'm going to try to pull him toward me. This is religion. If you go to church to try to pull God toward you, you don't know him. You don't know him. And I assure you, you will not have his favor. You will not have his favor. And you do not have wisdom. There is an inner emptiness. And there's an inner chaos. And you can do all the trappings of the things that Christians do. Go to church. You can even do... And I, and, I, and I was like this as, as, a, as a young man. I used to try to do quiet time. I, was, I tried to be very serious about God because I cared about God. But I often didn't believe that he would just love me and be there with me. And so I felt like I had to do these things to try to pull him. He's like, he's far away. You're far away, right, God? And so if I do these things, then I'll, I'll hook you. If I do all the Christian religion things... Then, then you'll be kind of beholden to me. And because I'm being the good Christian and doing the religion, then you'll come and I'll get you and then I'll become a deeper person, right? And so I would even at home, my, uh, my Sunday school teachers, when I was um, a teenager, taught me that I should do my devotions. They, so that's when they started calling them quiet times. Before that, they called them devotions. And then around around when I was a teenager, they started calling them quiet times. And I would actually open up the Bible and I would read it and go, oh man, that was boring. <laughs> and I would go, da 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 And then I'm like, okay, okay I, I got to do it though. I got to do it. I got I to get through And then I would do it. And then, and then okay, now I better pray. And then pray and go, I got nothing to say. I don't even know what that passage just meant. But, but, but I really want God. I really want God. So I got to do this thing to try to pull him toward me. And I would do this for several days and then I get tired of it. Then I would not do it. And um, when I would get sometimes tired of, of reading these passages that I don't understand, I would then go to Psalms because I actually could understand Psalms. And then I would read Psalms that said something like this, like, I'm weak and I'm lowly. Be not far from me. And I'll go, man, I know what that feels like. That's me. And then it dawned on me one day that God put that in the Bible for me. And that he put that in the Bible for me meant he knows I'm like this. And in that moment, then I knew I didn't have to pull him to me. He was there. That's being with your father. Well, I was about a 15-year-old teenager, 14, 15. I still remember this. I was about 14, 15 in ninth grade. 
Ninth grade was a really hard year for me. I hated ninth grade. If you ask me to go repeat one year of my life, that, one, that year would be like right there at the bottom of the list. There's like a couple years that I would never, ever want to repeat in my life. Ninth grade, that was like one of the worst. That's just why I wanted God. <laughs> and so I like, okay, I'll try the quiet time thing. Because I'm super miserable at school. I hate my life right now. Right? And that's how I found out. And I realized this is it. One of the, what I'm trying to share with you today, in some sense, before, for some of you, is the easiest thing. It's like, Pastor, I can't believe you're preaching on this. Isn't this so, like, almost kindergarten basic? I'm like, it isn't almost kindergarten basic. It is kindergarten basic. But for some of you, this is the hardest thing there is. When you come to church, you have to do all the trappings. But whether you at church, if at home, and you never pray, or if you only pray, the only time you pray is like emergency time. In case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> In case of emergency, pray and then pull God down and help you out. <laughs> Get his favor. <laughs> that, is that like, that's, that's when you go to prayer? Or when you go to prayer to go be in your father. To go be actually in your father. Not to go get God, the omnipotent being who can pull the strings for you. Not to go get God, I'm feeling miserable inside. Would you please snap your fingers and fix me? It's like, like he's a drug. <laughs> like somehow he's a drug. You know? So you could, you could shoot yourself up with something and you'll feel happiness for a little bit. And, but some of you guys, that's what you guys want God to do. But he doesn't actually do it that way. He'll come to you as a father. And to know him as father, you must sit still and trust he's there. And walk with him. And pour out your heart to him. As we go to this final um, Sunday, today's the final Sunday of 2014, and as we um, look forward to 2015, this is what I want to give to you. I thought that was very appropriate. It's an Advent message. I hope you want to grow deep in 2015. You can't grow deep in religion, certainly not religion without God. And there's lots of people who come to a Christian church that is the proper doctrine of the Trinity, <laughs> And yet the spirit by which you go come, or you can go home and try to be a good Christian, but you can try to be a Christian by, via religion, or you can go home and be a son or a daughter before your father. Let me go to my part three of my message. Where is there true wisdom? This is really interesting. One, I absolutely... You can go home and you need to imitate Jesus. Jesus went to the temple. By the way, that the, the God destroyed that temple. That temple's not there anymore. Because <laughs> you and that's to tell us you don't need the building. The temple is just to say where God is, where he dwells. And now the temple is with you. Certainly within his people, the church. His people, the church, not the building. But also, inside of you, God has made you a temple. 
And you don't just simply go to God. You must go to your Father. To be in your person. And to say, now, Lord, let me be your house. And Father, come. And just like Jesus, let me be your son or daughter. And fill me with you and your favor. And you're like, God's not going to do that for me. <laughs> She's like, God's not going to do that for me. You know why you don't think God's going to do that for you? It's because the reason you don't think, you're gonna, think God's going to do that for you is because, because I'm not a good Christian. <laughs> That's the way you're going to sit. Some of you are sitting there. Some of you are actually sitting there right now thinking this. If I go home, I don't know how to do that stuff. You're, I'm not like you, Pastor. <laughs> I'm not like you. And I certainly am not like Jesus. I'm heck of not like Jesus. I'm not even like you, Pastor. So I don't know how to do that temple thing that you just said. <laughs> and God will actually come and be in me. And I sting this weird thing you're saying of being in the Father. I don't know how to do that because I'm not a good Christian. Okay. If you, that's what you're saying to me right now. You're thinking like religion. <laughs> that's a religion answer. Be a good Christian. That's like something you have to do. <laughs> like a form of public activity. <laughs> so you can be a pastor externally. There are people who are pastors externally, but they do not know how to be a temple and be in their father, and be a son internally. <laughs> there are many of you who can try to be Christians externally to do the Bible readings, come to church. But before you do any of that stuff, in your heart, you must be a temple, a house, a dwelling place of the Father and be in Him internally. That's the still place that he's talking about. <laughs> That's what Jesus is. This is the pathway to wisdom and real wisdom. And how do you get there? You believe in the gospel. <laughs> you don't ever have to perform. In fact, you come weak and tired and wretched. Because Jesus did not only show us an example... He came to be nailed to a cross, to walk the life we should have walked, to be a son the way we should be a son. And then all his righteousness and all his forgiveness would wash us for all the ways we do religion when we don't know how to be sons and daughters. And he will wash us and in that moment of weakness, he makes us sons and daughters. And if you believe that, it's just the gospel. And letting God be your father. If we have a lot of people like that, we'll, have, we'll start becoming a weird community. And people around us start thinking, you know what, I actually want there to be a Sunday, one of these Sunday atheist religion services right in our, in our, in our town. 
I actually want there to be one of these in our town. And then I want people who don't believe in God to go there. And one of these days, I hope one of them will become your friend. And then you invite them to church. They're like, you know, I go to services too. I'll try yours. And they'll show up here, and they'll meet a set of people like this who are in their father, like Jesus. And then they'll go to their Sunday assembly, and they'll know it's empty. I'm coming to yours. God is at your place. God is in you. But he's not over there. And they'll come and meet Jesus and get saved. That's that's what I want and long for. And maybe in 2015, more and more of this can happen. And you can walk with Gordon McDonald and grow to be this kind of person. I think McDonald's learned something about being this kind of person. And, um, and I would like us to be this way too. Let's pray. <clears throat> We're running on a lot of empty fumes, Lord Jesus. And Father, we don't know how to sit and be. Here, your son was a 13-year-old boy who cherished the temple and knew how to be before you knew how to be in you and let you be his father so that he would be your son. Lord Jesus, give us your spirit, your spirit of sonship that would dispel the preoccupation with Christian achievement and performance, even the Christian version of religion. I pray that you would dispel that that your spirit, the true spirit, God himself, the Holy Spirit, will come into our heart and we would be a temple of the Holy Spirit and we would have you, the heart of Jesus, the presence of the Father and the power of the Spirit and you would make us truly wise and joyful people filled with your favor not only before the favor of God, but with others. The favor of, our, of each other as brothers and sisters into a unity of a deep, beautiful, Jesus-centered family. And even the favor of atheists and skeptics around us who look at us and said, what the heck is going on with them? There is a wisdom I don't know. There is a depth and a joy and a peace that I do not have. And when they come and meet us, when we invite them into the temple, the presence and dwelling place of the Father, and through Jesus Christ, they would know you. Make us a deep people, Lord. And reach our friends and our neighbors in this city, filled with chaotic people inside. Do this work amidst us. Come, Lord Jesus, and bless us this way.